This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're following the tree of life into episode number 99. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and it's actually kind of mind-boggling to me that I am currently recording episode number 99 of the podcast. I mean, I've known that this episode was coming for a while, and obviously I've realized, oh, I'm about to hit number 100, and that's, that's really cool, but I guess saying 99 today and thinking, wow, I have recorded 99 episodes of this podcast or am about to have recorded 99 episodes of this podcast. It's just, I don't know, I was totally floored. Anyways, that really doesn't have anything to do with with the podcast. And I think next week when I bring you episode 100, maybe we'll talk a little bit about something more celebratory. But wow, 99 episodes. I guess my biggest uh, hope for those 99 episodes is that they have blessed you and helped you in your mothering journey. With that, we can go ahead and turn to the topic of this week's podcast. This is something that I get asked about a whole lot, and I thought that it might be good for me to go ahead and do a podcast episode on it so that I don't have to keep answering the question over and over again. I can just refer to the podcast episode because I have some, you know, Uh, differing views on this issue. So the question that I get is, Kristen, what do you think about eating the placenta after birth or encapsulating the placenta or anything along those lines? So I wanted to talk a little bit about the placenta and about my thoughts on consuming or encapsulating the placenta or choosing not to do that. So first, most of us know, but just in case, I wanted to say that... um, that you know the placenta is an organ that grows right along with the baby and it sees to the baby's needs in the womb. It, at first it's not doing as much when the baby's first developing. It's very rudimentary. In fact, human babies have a yolk sac that helps to sustain them while the placenta is working and coming online. But by the end of the first trimester, the placenta is really starting to come online and it's really it does a lot for the baby. Um, it's a it's a vital organ. It's definitely something that I'm grateful for with all of my babies. And it's, it's something that we pay attention to even after birth. We always check over the placenta and see what's going on with it. So in the womb, the placenta is what is actually attached. It's kind of burrowed in, so to speak, to the side of the uterus. And it creates kind of a lake of blood with the maternal vessels. Now, there's never direct contact between baby's blood and mom's blood in a normal pregnancy and in a normal birth. Those are very separate systems. Um, But what happens when the placenta burrows in is there's kind of, they call it a lake of blood that, or like a little pool, and the placenta pulls from that lake all the nutrients and things that it needs are transferred across the placental membranes. Uh, on in the maternal side of the placenta looks very different. If you heard the intro to this podcast episode, I said we're following the tree of life. That's a reference to the placenta. That's a reference to baby's side of the placenta, which looks, when you look at it, it looks like 
like a tree, the patterns of all the vessels running through it, and then going to the umbilical cord, which looks rather like uh, the trunk of a tree. And the maternal side doesn't look like that at all. It looks much, much meatier, like you would expect something like maybe an organ to look like. It's that side that is the side that's pulling everything. And, and it pulls all those nutrients, and then it gives all those nutrients and to the baby via the umbilical cord. The membranes are also attached to the placenta. There are two, actually two membrane sacs that surround your baby in the womb. The amnion is nearest the baby, and then the chorion. And if you picture like a water balloon, that's probably a good thing to think about. So the water balloon is like a thin membrane, and if you were to picture like kind of double water balloons, they're really close together then that's, that's the way that the membranes are around your baby. And your baby would, of course, be in the water balloon. And then the placenta is like kind of a, you know, kind of a meaty disc. Um, and the size of it can vary greatly. There can be really large ones, and there, can be, there could be really small ones. And then there's kind of average-sized ones. And like, I was at a birth this week, blessed to be able to assist at a birth, and the mom said that her placenta seemed small, but it really wasn't at all. It was actually a good size, and it was probably the size of, like, not a dinner plate size, but if you've ever seen one of those plates, like a salad plate, or maybe not as small as a dessert plate, or certainly not the size of a saucer for a teacup, but like a salad plate, it was probably about that size. It was a good size. And, um, and so the in the placenta can vary in thickness, but usually we want to see you know a good sized thick placenta, and that's a that's a placenta that's really working hard and is is doing things for baby. So the placenta has an important job, and we're very grateful for it. After birth, the placenta is not needed any longer, and what happens is the uterus has been I mean has been contracting and never retracts really during the process of labor it keeps getting progressively smaller and smaller and smaller and as it as it's helping you to work baby out and then once baby's out it continues really rapidly at this point to contract down and get smaller and that action shears the placenta off um, off of the wall of the uterus and then it comes and the, t the timing that it takes to do that can really vary the birth that I was at this week, it came pretty quickly. With my own births, I've had some placentas that came more slowly. So I think there's a large variation of normal in there. And we could talk about, I've been asked before, what is normal? But that's probably like the birth of the placenta and everything that goes into that is probably the topic for another podcast. So really, but once the placenta shears off, at first, when the baby's first born, there is still pulsing of the cord, which is why you don't want to clamp the cord right away because there's still blood in the placenta, and that is baby's blood. So that blood belongs in the baby. So you want to let that pulse and come down to baby. But really, it happens relatively quickly. I feel like it's a good idea to leave the cord attached until the placenta comes for many families, and especially if you've got a preemie, you might want to consider like a lotus birth kind of thing. I know that many preemies are coming in the hospital and you don't get much of a choice, but letting the baby be connected to the placenta for a little bit longer. But when we're talking about transfer of blood to the baby, it really doesn't take very long. You'll notice that the cord goes from looking very full and you see that spiraling in the cord 
to uh, looking more like kind of a flaccid white. The, that means the blood's all transferred. That happens very quickly within just a few minutes, usually. And then the placenta usually comes quickly after that. So, you know, once that's happened, once that blood is transferred from placenta to baby, the placenta's job is fundamentally done. And once it's born, the big thing to do is generally just to examine the placenta. And there are many variations um, in the placenta, many reasons why we want to use caution when we do things like break water and things like that because of variations in the placenta and in the membranes. But in general, the placenta looks good. Your uh, midwife or doctor or nurse or whomever will check over the placenta because sometimes looking at things going on in the placenta can give us some ideas about things that might have been going on with baby or things to look at. For instance, the umbilical cord has three vessels in it, two arteries and a vein, and we check to make sure that all three of those are there. Some babies are born with only two. My cousin had a baby who only had two and she's got a beautiful daughter who's just fine today, but sometimes it can be an indication of other things going on with the baby, and it would just be something that the midwife or pediatrician would want to know about. So we look at the placenta and the cord and the membranes, and we check for all of those things. And a lot of it is just, I guess it's like midwifery geeky stuff, looking at different variations therein in the placenta. It doesn't have as much relevance for you. But one thing that I think is cool about midwives is that they'll always offer to show you the placenta so that you can look at that if you're interested in it. So here we arrive at our question, which is what do we do with the placenta afterwards? And the big question is, is there benefit to consuming the placenta? That is definitely something that, um, I don't wanna say trendy. I mean, I think it is trendy right now, but I don't wanna say trendy because it sounds dismissive. And I think that there are valid reasons that moms consider consuming the placenta. One thing that people often think about is that it can help with bleeding or that's you know that's what's said that if you put a piece of placenta usually in your cheek or under your tongue or you consume a bit of placenta it will help bleeding stop um, I've also heard I think of chewing a section of cord I'm not remembering where I heard that right now but I do think that I've heard that that's so taking that piece and um, and if you were willing to do that it's supposed to be able to possibly stop bleeding. Now, I haven't researched in depth like what the mechanism that might be working there is, but if a mom were really open to it, it might be something to consider. So that's one of the reasons a mom might consider consuming a little bit of placenta right away. Along those same lines, because we're talking about fresh placenta there, some midwives, some moms want to do like fresh placenta consumption. So they'll do placenta smoothies and that sort of thing where basically the placenta is processed and prepared um, for smoothies. And you would really prepare that the same way. I mean, the placenta is, it's not, it's not biohazardous waste at all. Um, so you would really prepare that for just like you would any other meat like chicken or beef or bison or lamb or whatever it was that you were preparing you know you just use standard clean sanitary procedures and just like I guess if you were cubing meat to go into a soup or something um, or like say that you wanted to cube a little bit of liver to to put into a smoothie or to hide in spaghetti or something so that you could get some liver in it would just basically be the same thing so when we think about um, you know, when we think about the placenta, 
It's not like this big mysterious thing, but some moms feel like having that fresh consumption helps with bleeding, um, hormonal balance, which is something we'll come back to when we talk about encapsulation and that sort of thing. And really, I think I think before we move much further, I do want to I want to talk about some options with the placenta. Um, and these I I had detailed out nicely to me by Ruth Goldberg, who is a certified nurse midwife. Um, she's written a book actually called Repurpose Your Placenta. So she's really looked into, into placentas a lot and studied placentas a lot. She's a nurse midwife in Flagstaff, Arizona, and it was pretty cool to listen to her talk. But she has like a list of things that parents can do with the placenta. And we might just, I, I just want to run through a few of those that might come before we consider consuming it, just so you know. So, of course, you can discard the placenta. Remember, it's not biohazardous waste or anything like that. It's, um, I mean, you can just dis- you could just throw it in the trash if you wanted to, or you could, uh, if you wanted to take it home and, like, plant it in your garden or under a tree or under a fruit tree or something, it's totally okay to do that. Um, we already talked about delayed cord clamping. That's something you want to consider. Some families want to do cord blood collection, and so the placenta, uh, or rather the umbilical cord, is what's important in that. Um, and then I mentioned lotus birth when I was talking about a preemie, but a lotus birth is basically where you keep the placenta and cord attached to the baby until the cord dries and falls off on its own. That's not something that I've really ever considered for my babies, though I've read about it, and I think that it's a nice thing. You're definitely going to want to research lotus birth if it's a choice that you make because you need to salt the placenta and kind of keep it aired out and stuff. Um, and I think it's a good one to like to feel out. So does this still feel right to me? One thing that happens is at first it's not a problem at all because the cord is so soft and flaccid, but as it starts to dry, I mean, it, it literally does start to dry out. So if you think about like beef jerky or something you know you think that that's drier and tougher um, or even gets brittle once it's over dried that's what happens to the cord often before it falls off and so some families think that it's you know it's getting in the way of nursing or holding the baby or something and at that point they decide to go ahead and help the baby let the cord go but the thought behind lotus birth is that you know that's been part of the baby's life and I and I really think there's something to it like when you cut the cord there's there's no pain for the baby whatsoever but many babies cry when you cut the cord which just you know that leads me to believe that there's something going on on some level I don't really think physical level is in there feeling it but because there's no nerve endings in the umbilical cord but I think that maybe on um, you know some spiritual level there might be something going on for baby with being severed for the placenta and, and lotus birth takes that into consideration so I think that's valid if that's something that you want. Another thing that can be done with the placenta is you can have keepsakes so some people will do placenta prints. Um, something that I actually did after Sadie's birth was we took the cord off of the placenta and I just wrapped the cord up and dried that as kind of a keepsake for me. I got the idea from another mom and it's something that I treasure. So there's various kinds of ways that you can create a keepsake. Another option uh, in relation to cord cutting is cord burning, which is something that I, I also considered with Sadie but decided not to really look into. But you can look that up too. There's a really nice website. I'll try and remember to look it up for the show notes, but um, it's it's basically you you burn the cord and you have you have a shield on the baby's sides and you use a candle and it takes time because it's a slow process but it's actually very safe 
sanitary it's a nice aseptic technique like if you were in a third world country or something cord burning would be a good way to consider severing the cord because it's um, it's very clean and creates a nice sterile sterile not wound I guess but you know the open end of the cord has been burned and cauterized so it's safer for mom and baby so those are a few things to consider when you're thinking about like what happens to the placenta immediately so let's go back now to talk about actually consuming the placenta okay so we already talked a little bit about um, you know about con why we might consider consuming the placenta immediately like a piece of the placenta usually is if a mom's having a lot of bleeding put a piece of, of the placenta in the cheek or under the tongue that I mean that's not the only way to address a lot of bleeding and I, I actually think that there are a lot of ways that we can address bleeding like in advance during pregnancy and really minimizing the chance that there's going to be any kind of bleed. I've actually written an entire article about it which we'll try and put in the show notes for you so that you can look at that but basically I, I really think that um, you know we don't really worry about childbed fever anymore and dying of an infection, though that happens to some moms still, especially in third world countries, but sometimes there's complications of surgery and stuff during birth. But really, I think the big specter of birth for most women today is, is worry about bleeding. Um, and I think it's a valid thing to be concerned about, which is why I wrote a really extensive article on it. And I think it will be good for you to read that and see the different ways that such a thing can be addressed during pregnancy and also during birth. I mean, there's a lot you can do during pregnancy, but just um, safeguarding the birth process and honoring that birth was created to be safe. I mean, think about it. Uh, I think it was Karen Strange that said this, but, you know, um, the ultimate goal of birth is a live mother and a live baby. There's no benefit if the process doesn't work. So regardless of your worldview, I think a creator created the birth process in a beautiful way. Even if you think, though, that evolution by trial and error designed the birth process, we can both agree that ultimately the purpose of birth is to result in a live mom and a live baby because there's absolutely no benefit to the other alternatives. So birth is inherently created or designed or trial and errored its way into being safe. And when we honor that process and and safe alone, I just I really I guess I got to stick that in there. I mean because there weren't hospitals 2000 years ago, 6000 years ago, whenever. You know, there weren't hospitals I believe that women have been attending women in birth for a long time, but that's not always true. There are some cultures where it's definitely been the case where a woman kind of goes off by herself and has the baby. Uh, in a lot of cultures, it's been that a woman's there. But but really, birth um, birth is designed to work without the cavalry being called in. You know? Think about it. So that's And I think that's really profound. I want you maybe to spend some time meditating on that or praying on that or whatever. That birth is designed to work even without superhuman interventions. And when we circumvent a process that's been designed or fine-tuned to work really well, there may be consequences that we did not anticipate. And I believe a postpartum hemorrhage is, uh, is one of those. That when you totally circumvent, short-circuit, and undermine the hormonal pattern of birth... We remove a lot of the safety checks from birth. And again, that article really talks about that. And I want to encourage you to read that, especially if this is something 
that you are thinking about or that you are concerned about um, because it addresses that. So again, I think a piece of placenta can be a legitimate way to think about that. But I also, especially if you've got anxiety about this, I want you to go through, read that article and really think through um, the implications of what do I do during pregnancy? How do we honor the labor and birth process? I do think that sometimes even if we do everything right, there might still be bleeding, which is why it's good to know uh, good to know about things like the placenta and herbs and manually getting in there and working on the bleeding or even if we should consider pharmaceuticals. I think we need to know that because sometimes things do go wrong, but I think it's very rare, and especially if women were more aware of what they can do during pregnancy and we were more careful to safeguard the hormonal processes of birth, um, we would see a lot less bleeding than we do today. So anyways, okay, so that's a possible reason to to consume placenta right away. And then again, a lot of midwives and women feel like if we're going to consume the placenta, it should be done right away when it's fresh. And that's where the placenta smoothies and things come in. And some of the benefits of that are that it's nutritious. I, I guess, you know, it's an organ. So we're thinking about the nutrients that might be in an organ and helps with bleeding and uh, and that maybe getting that placenta can help prevent the baby blues or postpartum depression or anything like that. One of the things that a lot of women point to with consuming the placenta, especially right away, is that many, many other animals, mammals, consume their placentas at birth. Um, I think that that could, you know, that there's an argument. We keep goats and they definitely eat their placentas right after birth. And I, I kind of go like both ways on this argument because on the one hand, I can also say my goats eat their placenta right after birth, but they also pee and poop anywhere that they want to. And then if we think about like an animal like dogs, yeah, maybe they might eat their placenta after birth, but they also eat poop. Or, you know, there are animals that, that will not only eat their placenta, but they'll also eat their young. And are we necessarily going to follow them? I think that's a valid argument, but I think you could also say, you know, because I'm always considering myself, I don't want to sound hypocritical, but you're like, yeah, but Kristen, you tell us that we should be like a mama cat or a mama dog and, or a mama goat and go find somewhere that's dark and quiet to give birth. So you tell us to be like them for that, but then you're like, but why are you going to consider eating your placenta? So I can see, you know, where you might say, well, wait a second, that, that argument doesn't hold up. Um, to argue against it because they do things that we wouldn't do. But in the end, I do think that we want to consider, I mean, there are some similarities that we have with animals, like, for instance, that we all do well with a dark, quiet environment for birthing, that uh, that we're made to nurse our babies just like they are and stuff. But then there are also uh, very big differences. So I don't necessarily, th and also one of the things that I guess I think is really interesting about that whole argument too, is if you actually look at placentas and animals, they're very different. There are different types of placentas. So like I believe rabbits have the same sort of placenta as humans, but goats do not. And uh, cats and dogs do not. They look very different. So they're very, very different organs. They function kind of differently. Um, uh, I think pigs have a different kind of placenta. It's just, it's very interesting. There's like four major types of placenta and not an, all animals share, like not all mammals share the same kind of placenta. So does that 
have some sort of bearing on who consumes placenta and who doesn't is very interesting to me. Um, it's interesting to me to look at, like, for instance, goats. They're herbivores. They don't eat meat. And they don't like meat, but they consume placenta. I think, you know, there's a whole lot of different layers to that, and you're probably not really going to explore that a lot unless you're, like, a birthy placenta geek. But I, I don't know that that's a good argument for doing something. Um, or maybe not necessarily an argument against doing something either, but it's, it's an interesting fact to realize that other animals do this, but let's make our decisions independently, I think. Um, let's talk a little bit about placenta encapsulation. So encapsulation is different than eating the placenta like raw, I guess, or fresh might be a better word. Uh, but it, when we encapsulate the placenta, what's happening is the placenta is dried and then literally encapsulated so that you can pop placenta pills, basically. For all of these things, either processing it fresh, I already talked about that a little bit, use sanitary like meat handling procedures, and then also for encapsulation, I think that any competent person who is aware of cleanliness and being clean can do that. I know that this probably won't make me some fans because there is like a push to certify and license for placental encapsulation. And I want to say with that, that if that's something of interest to you, if that's something that you've decided to do, I think that's totally fine. Like I, I think when it comes to midwifery, that if a woman wants to go for her CPM, certified professional midwife, she wants to sit for those exams, pursue that course for herself, that's totally fine. But just like I don't feel like a midwife should say all midwives should have to sit for their CPM, uh, I don't feel like you should say that a woman is incompetent to encapsulate placentas just because she hasn't gotten whatever license or certification. As a consumer, you might say, well, I know that this proves that she's got some education, and that might be valid for you, but you might also feel comfortable with, you know, the girl down the road has encapsulated 200 placentas, and the moms are happy with those results, and just because she hasn't gone through the certification process or the licensing process doesn't mean that I doubt her skill or ability to do this. Do you see what I'm saying? I think in the end we want to look at the person who's doing it and say, are they competent? Do I feel confident in them? I guess the, it's a slippery slope to see the letters after somebody's name or to see the certification and assume that certification equals competence. It may. I hope that it does, but I don't want us to assume that. So, you know, ask. Don't necessarily just be assured because you see those letters or that certificate. Ask. And that that's all I want to say on that because there has been some controversy about oh well she's not licensed so she shouldn't encapsulate placentas or whatever um, I don't really think that's right so let's get back to talking about the actual encapsulation so there are, one is you just you know you dry and encapsulate the placenta itself and then there's also the option of possibly having some herbs put in there so what women argue for with consuming the placenta fresh and encapsulated but especially encapsulated is that those placenta pills help give energy, they help you feel better, they help avoid postpartum depression, they help even out hormonal ups and downs and dips. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's a big benefit that women cite for encapsulation. Um, when we think about maybe one of the, the downsides for encapsulation, some women say that, that it might make them feel like off or shaky or jittery is something that I've heard from some women. Some women feel like that might be because herbs were added into the dried placenta. 
And so that might be something to consider if you're thinking about having your placenta encapsulated, just ask for it to be just the placenta. Other moms who had just placenta in there feel like maybe it's hormones in there that make them feel jittery. So that's like one of the downsides that I've heard to possibly consuming the placenta. I don't know that I've heard it so much with fresh, but for women who have had it encapsulated is that, you know, possibly it makes me feel jittery. It makes me feel weird. I didn't like that feeling. Okay. So our good, uh, our, our arguments for placenta encapsulation have been that it's nutritious. It can help stop bleeding. Um, lots and lots of women have said that it's been helpful to them with lower bleeding, you know, lower, lower bleeding in the postpartum period, less bleeding, I guess is what I want to say. Um, also that it's helped them to stay emotionally balanced, to feel better. Some women say that maybe it helps milk supply come in. Um, so we see like those are positive benefits of encapsulation. And especially I think one of the big things women cite is it helps prevent postpartum depression. Lots of people say that, you know, animals do it, so it's it's natural, it's normal. Um, and then a lot of people say, you know, whatever feels right to you is fine. And that if it feels right to you and it helps you in the postpartum, then you should definitely be okay with doing that. Okay, so I guess this comes to, you know, what what are my thoughts on it? Or you know, what might be arguments against it. And I've mentioned one of those already, which is that some women feel that it, that it becomes like jittery. They get jittery feeling or they feel emotionally unbalanced or they don't feel good taking it. So that might be something. And you could argue for that, that, well, if it makes you feel that way, then just chuck the lot of them. Don't worry about it. Um, some other things to think about and consider. One is that the placenta is a human organ. Um, you know, it's human flesh. So I think most of us don't bat an eye. Maybe some of you do, so maybe I'm about to weird you out. But most people don't bat an eye like about the thought of consuming breast milk because it's just milk. Now, I know there are some people that are like, ew, that's gross. I saw a meme on Facebook yesterday where somebody had been stealing this gal's coffee creamer, so she put express breast milk in the coffee creamer thing for a week and then put a note on it that I hope you've been enjoying my breast milk, which I got a good chuckle out of because you know that the person was probably like, ah. But, um, but you know, in general, like most of us, if we think about if we think about milk or you hear stories about a woman giving her milk to other babies or donating milk in a disaster situation or like a stranded situation or like in some I've heard a couple stories where like there was an elderly family member or something who for whatever reason wasn't able to eat and the mom was able to express milk to get them through a few days or whatever sometimes you hear stories about that and most people are like that's cool because that's milk um, but when we start talking about like actual flesh some people are much less comfortable with that. So the placenta is actual flesh to consume. And it's this is one of the things that gives me pause. I mean, I guess I should just come out and say that I really, I don't, I wouldn't consume my own placenta. Um, I'm not going to tell another woman what to do. I will share my opinions on it. But I will say that it's it's not for me. So I'm coming from that bias, so to speak. But um. In an emergency situation, like if a hemorrhage were happening and my midwife were to say, I really think that having a piece of placenta would help here, 
Might I consider it? Yes, um, because you know, in an emergency situation, you might consider something that you wouldn't normally consider. Um, but also there's probably, I mean, I know because I'm a student midwife, there's a lot of other things that can be done. And might I be more likely to say, let's go with these things than eating a piece of placenta? Yes. So when it comes to consuming, the fact that it's a human organ is something that gives pause to some people, including me. Um, also, I think that I think there's a strong reason to consider, like, because when we consider thinking about, um, you know, the placenta helps women feel better, and why wouldn't we want a woman to do something that would help her with postpartum depression? I think that the problem is a lot bigger than that. Uh, the problem that we face is why is postpartum depression so so prevalent? I don't think it's because we don't consume our placentas, because when we look at human history, we can look at like placental traditions throughout cultures. And I don't, I don't know that consuming the placenta was one that was really done very often. When we look culturally, there's a lot of cultures that buried the placenta that believe they should bury it in a particular place that, that held the placenta as an important part of the baby pair, that sort of thing. But, but placental consumption wasn't really there a lot and and when we think about like tribal societies or nomadic societies any sort of traditional human arrangement um usually moms and babies were healthy and also moms felt good had lots of milk and everything without consuming the placenta so today when we have basically this epidemic of postpartum depression these moms who are struggling with breastfeeding and things I think that the question becomes much larger and the solution really becomes much larger than just we should all eat our placentas and then everything will be good. We should be asking on like a cultural basis, why are, why are our cultures struggling so much and what do we culturally need to do to support moms? Because really, if we stop and say, oh, well, you know, we can just give everybody placentas, I don't really think that's much different than than the medical machine. It it basically becomes pop a pill and you'll be okay. I'll check in on you next week. And that's not the solution. The solution is we need much greater support for moms and babies postpartum, uh, even in pregnancy, pregnancy, birthing, postpartum, parenting. There just needs to be much greater support. I'm actually hoping to have a guest on the podcast in a couple of weeks, and we're kind of going to talk about what we really need for a maternal support system. So while I feel like if it's valid uh, that that possibly placenta consumption or placenta pills could help a mom who's having that trouble, who's struggling with maybe that hormonal imbalance and everything, I don't want to say that's the end-all be-all, and I definitely don't want to stop the discussion on postpartum depression with just pop some placenta pills. And I'm not saying that you do, if you feel like it's a valid thing. I'm just saying let's, um, there's a lot more going on with that, and we really that's something that we need to address culturally on a much greater level, and structurally, systematically, on a much greater level. Um, okay, so... I guess really the other big thing for me is is because I'm coming from you know I'm coming from a Christian worldview basically 
Um, and, and for me, that's really enough to give pause because the scriptures reference eating the placenta one time and it's not a positive reference. And so I know some of you aren't going to connect with this at all, um, but others of you might, and I want to share it with you. So the, the verse that references it is actually Deuteronomy 28 verse 57. And it, it actually depends on the translation. So I want to say that to you too. So I'll read the translation, two different translations. One is the King James, which does not mention the placenta. And then I'll read another translation that does. So the verse, Deuteronomy 28, verse 57 is, And toward her young one that cometh out from between her feet, and toward her children which she shall bear, for she shall eat them for want of all things secretly in the siege and straightness, wherewith... Thine enemy shall distress thee in thy gates. So basically it's talking about in a time of punishment um, and a time of devastation, societal breakdown, conquering, that, that the mom is going to eat her children. And it says, toward her young one that cometh out from her feet and toward her children which she shall bear. So that word there, young one, is the one that's translated differently um, in other translations. But I wanted to read the King James because some people argue that it didn't mean placenta. It was just talking about children. Other people say young one and children is redundant and that young one was a reference to the placenta or the afterbirth. So what I just read was the King James. And now I'm going to read from the Living Tree Version, which does mention placenta. So it says, For in secret she will eat her afterbirth that issues from between her legs and the children she bears for lack of anything else in the siege and stress with which your enemy will distress you within all of your gates. So that translation and many others actually use the word afterbirth instead of young one. And the afterbirth is another name for the placenta. So again, it's a situation of devastation, a situation where uh, where a community and a culture are being conquered um, and punishment and everything's being meted out. And in that situation is when the mom secretly eats her placenta or and actually, you know, eats her babies. So it's not a pleasant thing to think about, but it is in the scriptures. And if you're coming from a scriptural worldview or perspective, it's something that you might want to keep in mind. Again, I don't think that it's necessarily going to change the mind of anybody, especially if they don't connect with the scriptures and some moms who are Christians or um, that's in Deuteronomy. So anybody Jewish, anybody who's looking at the, at the Torah or the Tanakh, is going to consider that uh, as possible guidance on the decision that they make. So we've talked about some thoughts like from a practical perspective, from a bleeding perspective, from a hormonal perspective, from societal perspective. We've looked at what animals do and maybe don't do. We've looked at um, what you know, we've, we've looked at what, how we should consider that, like, should it even matter to us what animals do or don't do? Um, and we've looked at it also from perhaps a spiritual or maybe, maybe more accurate, accurately for that, a religious perspective. Um, so I think that there are a lot of different things going on and at play there. And this one's actually, this podcast is getting a little bit longer than I had anticipated, but I want to give it all to you. And and again, I guess I can sum it up by saying that I've given you a lot of information. You can find a lot of information online about the pros and cons of consuming your placenta. I will say that, I mean, with my first babies, it wasn't even consideration. Um, 
And then with the last few, it's been something that's come up. And my midwife has even asked me, I think with the last two, did I want placenta encapsulation? With the birth that I assisted at on Monday, the mom did want that. So, I mean, it's definitely something that's becoming more of a thing. And you can find lots of benefits online. I've shared some of those with you. I've also shared with you some thoughts that women might have when they choose not to do it. For me, again, I've chosen not to because I didn't know with the first. And then even with the last, I just, it didn't really feel right to me. And also, I firmly believe that there are other things that can be done to take care of moms, to help them feel on an even keel, to help the milk supply come in well, um, to help with bleeding. Like I, like I said, I'm going to link that article in the show notes to talk about what you can do during pregnancy. I mean, I think just eating date fruits is probably something I feel way more comfortable with than the thought of eating placenta. And it's date fruits have been studied extensively and shown evidence-based, research-based to make a huge difference for moms with bleeding. So I think there are definitely alternatives that you can look at, that you can explore if it's not something that you feel comfortable with. And there are lots of resources out there if it is something that you feel comfortable with. So I hope that this episode has been helpful to you. Like I said, I wanted to show that I definitely have a bias against consuming placenta. I wanted to be upfront about that, and I hope that I was. But I also hope that I gave you some good information, and definitely no pun intended, but food for thought, and uh, and that this helps you make a decision. And also to anybody that's asking me in the future, they can come and listen to this episode where I've kind of rambled and tried to put everything together. And you know, remember that you've got some options with your placenta. It doesn't necessarily have to be consumed. There can be the placenta keepsakes. You can bury it uh, under something. You know, there are ways that, uh, because like I said, like I started with, I think the placenta is an incredible organ. And maybe you do kind of want to honor that and what it did. And that's one of the reasons why we chose thinking about burying it like over fruit trees is letting it also um, bring forth further life and further blessing I guess in its second use and those are all things that you can think about and you can consider with the placenta with that we're going to go ahead and finish up for today I really 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 appreciate when you head over to iTunes or um, head over to the Google Music Store Google Podcast app or in Stitcher if you leave a rating if you take a minute to leave a comment those are really great. Um, if a positive comment has helped you on the podcast, if you can take a second just to give a thumbs up or rating up for that comment, that really helps because that keeps the positive comments at the top. I do appreciate constructive criticism. Sometimes, though, I feel like I get comments that... Um, that are more derogatory than constructive. And so I always appreciate when people can see the comments that are truly helpful at the top. So if you take some time to just leave a review, it only takes a couple seconds to leave a star rating. If you've got a couple minutes, just type out a quick review. If there's a review that helped you find the podcast or made you decide that you wanted to listen to it, go ahead and give that a thumbs up or a rating up in whatever your podcast app is. I really appreciate it. I hope that you have a blessed week and I will be coming to you next time with episode number 100. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.